This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. And welcome everyone to the latest edition of the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Glad to be with you right now. I'm absolutely just straight up looking forward to talking about everything that happened in the world of pro wrestling over the last week. We meant to drop this one on a Monday, but you know, life gets in the way. I'll just say that much right now. It's definitely Monday was absolutely bat bleep insane. So it was hard to kind of keep tabs on all what was going on. So I had to take an extra day. I had to take an extra day sit back and watch the rest of Extreme Rules, watch Slammiversary, kind of look at all of it and break it down for you just like this on this wonderful podcast. Appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so, be it through 1037thegame.com, the free mobile app, iTunes, Google Podcasts. I think eventually we're going to finally get on Spotify. We'll see what happens there. But I am absolutely positively looking forward to having a conversation with you about what's going on in the sport of professional wrestling, especially when it comes to what happened on Sunday, the WWE had Extreme Rules 2020. And I'll say this, I am not going to kind of poo-poo all those superstars that took part in those matches. I think it all comes down to booking. And I'll say this, they had like probably one really solid match. The rest of them were kind of eh, to be honest with you. Definitely filled with a lot of weird finishes. Case in point, the Raw Women's title. We'll get to that in a little bit. But Kevin Owens, Buddy Murphy, a fine match, a fine singles match on the dark, on the pre-show, and that was really cool. That being said, the one good match that I truly enjoyed from start to finish was the tag team title match for SmackDown. It was so darn good. A tables match, Cesaro hitting a Ricola bomb through two tables, and the way that spot looked, it came out so clean. It was just such a great moment. And you were hoping that the rest of the show could be the same way. You would hope, upon hope, that's how this whole thing would go. But lo and behold, did not happen. Bailey-Sasha was a fine match. Went about 12 minutes. It was definitely, I'd say, middle of the road. It was definitely, it felt like, you know, it went its logical path. Nikki Cross gets pinned. Bailey retains. And we move on to see what happens later on the night with Asuka and Sasha Banks for the Raw Women's Championship, which we'll get to in a little bit. And then you had the Apollo Crews MVP match did not happen because Apollo Crews had to forfeit and reports are saying he is out due to COVID-19. So that's something that's going to be interesting to see how he's written back in or what have you, or if they even mention it at all. Cause case in point, the street profits returned after, after a wee bit of a break, but right here, right now, you know, Apollo Crews lost by forfeit to MVP. Who's proclaiming himself to be the United States champion. It's a different conversation when it comes right down to it. And then comes the match that everybody has been talking about. The eye for an eye match. Ojo por ojo. And what happened there probably makes people scratch their head and wonder, what the hell am I doing watching WWE? And again, the tagline for Extreme Rules this year was the horror show, and it was an absolutely horrible match between Seth Rollins, probably one of the better wrestlers on the roster, alongside Rey Mysterio, an absolute veteran who could wind up probably having a really decent match with a broom, and these two, basically the match was, the stipulation was, could only be won when a competitor 
extracted the eye of an opponent. And it's just so weird to kind of put that sentence all together in 2020. And that's kind of was one of the big selling points for the Raw brand. Yes, you had the Drew McIntyre, Dolph Ziggler match, but I feel like that one just didn't have nearly as much hype as Seth Rollins, Rey Mysterio, because the Rey Mysterio thing had been long-term booking. It felt like, you know, Dolph Ziggler just constantly gets thrown into a title match to help establish the strong babyface. Case in point last year with Dolph Ziggler and that whole, it should have been me. But the eye for an eye match, I just, I seriously, could not get into it. It was just such a dumb idea to make that a stipulation. And there was no, like, basically, there was no, there was no stakes to the fact that the WWE said, hey, we're going to go ahead and run things our way, and we're going to set up shop our way. And it was just, it was bad. And then you can clearly see the fake eye that Rey Mysterio had whenever it got, quote-unquote, pulled out. And it was just, I, it was cringeworthy to the nth degree. Now, what happens next for Rey Mysterio is anybody's guess. Obviously, they were, they worded it on Monday Night Raw the next night that you know the eye could be saved, so he could very well come back and have a full recovery, which is just fantastic for a worked angle. I just I couldn't get into it. Seth Rollins, Rey Mysterio, both great talents, but they were saddled with a dumb stipulation to where no matter what happened you were going to be like, what the actual bleep is going on? And then they did it again. They struck again back-to-back, back-to-back, with the Asuka versus Sasha Banks match, ended in a no contest based off of what they've said on Monday Night Raw. Neither of them are technically the champion. But it was such a fine match, maybe a little bit too long at 20 minutes, probably would have gone 15 or so, give... You know, probably a little bit more time to Cesaro, Shinsuke, and the New Day. Maybe a little bit more to the women's title match for SmackDown. But it just feels like 20 minutes was a little bit too long, especially when you compare it to the 15-minute long match that they had next with the WWE title. We'll get to that in a little bit. But this was a fine match. The finish was so dumb, I am still wondering why we had two straight matches and it was just dumb and it was pointless. You had Asuka, Sasha Banks. Asuka goes for the green mist, misses Sasha, who ducks. Smart strategy on her part. I'll, I'll say that much. And then, next thing you know, you have Asuka basically get taken out, get knocked out. And you have Bailey go in, takes the referee's shirt, and counts the pin. Never in my life have I seen something that was more infuriating than that finish. It was about as bad as the Seth Rollins finish against The Fiend about last year at Hell in a Cell, where it ended in a no contest, a referee stoppage, as they want to call it. In a Hell in a Cell match, that's not how a match it in. But there's no way that you should have Bailey count a pinfall and it's treated like it's legitimate. I get it. You want to have the Banks two belts thing trending on Twitter, but it was such a dumb finish. It didn't need to happen. Honestly, I would have loved to have it end in just a straight-up no contest but not with the whole overbooked antics that they wound up having. It was so fun to see kind of Asuka and Sasha Banks go at it. 20 minutes, really solid match. But if not for the way that thing ended, I probably would have rated this card a little bit better overall. Then comes Drew McIntyre, Dolph Ziggler, the penultimate match on the card. And I got to say, it was a lot of fun. But again, I think it was definitely hampered by the fact that they decided to have 
Dolph Ziggler wrestle under extreme rules, but McIntyre couldn't. And if McIntyre got DQ'd or counted out, Ziggler would have won the championship. I, I like the idea. I've liked it done in the past, but I think it needs to be done with in the case of how they booked it. Have the babyface book that or somehow, some way, make it to where it's a true blood feud. There was no real juice behind it. When they did it a few years ago at Money in the Bank 2011 with Christian versus Randy Orton, there was at least some heat to that feud to where that kind of stipulation was required. Back in 2007, I can remember Randy Orton and Shawn Michaels, where Shawn Michaels got DQ'd, he'd lose, he'd lose the match. Oh, wait, excuse me, vice versa. Randy Orton gets DQ'd, purposefully or not, he loses the WWE title. It's a different conversation, just in terms of how the Extreme Rules match worked. It was so dumb the way they wound up booking this thing out. At the end of the day, unless Dolph Ziggler had a gun, there was no way I thought you have Dolph Ziggler get a win, and it was absolutely just disappointing. And then they're running it back next week on Monday Night Raw. I was not a fan of everything that was going on with Dolph Ziggler, Drew McIntyre. The Ziggler's hype train has been derailed multiple times over. I think that's going to continue going forward. And then comes the main event. There's one thing I liked about the match, and it outweighed a lot of the bad for me. It's still a really horrible match, and a big reason why a lot of people are getting turned off in droves. And Bubba Ray said it perfectly on Busted Open Radio, saying the fact that you know the audience is tired of having their intelligence insulted. Yes, but also this was a dumb idea. Because they're trying to continue to keep the momentum going from the Firefly Funhouse, the Boneyard match, and do all these cinematic contests, do all these cinematic matches, and they don't necessarily always click. You need to be able to have the right person and the right gimmicks to line up with it. Bray Wyatt, Braun Strowman had the potential to be really, really good, but it just felt like the great value brand version of the old final deletion angle. The one that kind of started all this, that everybody started to fall in love with cinematic wrestling in America, the final deletion, total nonstop deletion, all that stuff. It felt like a great value brand version of that. And there was no real true like sense of urgency. The title wasn't on the line, so nobody really cared. Everything was going on with Bray Wyatt. What was going to happen? Is the Fiend going to return? And the Fiend did return. But it just left you wondering why that was even something that was talked about and nobody said hey this is a bad idea let's kind of scrap this and move on down the line no this was a legitimate idea that the WWE thought was a smart idea and it really made you kind of question what the WWE was thinking in terms of this card because again really solid match to start the card and then things got off the rails during the eye for an eye match first two, two matches of the night were solid I like the Cesaro Shinsuke Nakamura match a lot more. But then you have four straight matches, all very weird, very like insider, I guess. But I could not get into it for a good while. Simply because of the fact that you had somebody like Braun Strowman get kind of neutered in this match. You had Dolph Ziggler look like an absolute buffoon again. And I think this might be the last time we see Dolph Ziggler should be anywhere near any contention for the WWE title, the Raw Women's title match was a absolute cluster bleep of a match. In terms of booking, eye for an eye didn't need to happen. The way they the way they worked the angle was not great. It should have been you know a pinfall match or last man standing something along those lines, and the loser gets their eye taken out. 
This was literally, oh, hey, take the person's eye out, and you win. Not a fan of it overall when it comes down to it. Extreme Rules was probably the weakest pay-per-view card from top to bottom for the WWE this year. All the ones before WrestleMania, before COVID, were solid enough in terms of pay-per-view cards. The NXT TakeOvers, they've been solid. The NXT TakeOver in your house, way better than this. But when you just look at main roster cards, this was probably the most underwhelming, and it was just because of the fact that you had so much hype surrounding even Backlash a few weeks ago, the greatest wrestling match ever. It had a lot of hype surrounding it, but I feel like you had a chance to live up to the hype, and I think they did. The fact that you, they managed to put together a really solid card from top to bottom. There wasn't a true quote-unquote dud in the bunch. So hopefully we can see the WWE turn it around for SummerSlam and I got to say, that was one of the most disappointing parts of my weekend in terms of watching pro wrestling. Because I watched a good chunk of this, and I was just very much nonplussed. Did not like the fact that that happened. And hopefully, they can learn from their lesson. Welcome back to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast right here on 103.7 The Game, the exclusive pro wrestling podcast. And I got to say, for once, Impact Wrestling nailed it. They had a lot of hype surrounding it. And it was all because of the fact that Impact Wrestling knew, hey, let's try and build a mini cinematic universe, if you will. Let's try and work an angle to where we use real-life situations with the fact that WWE laid off Several that are talented, both on air and recruits and all this other stuff, and said, hey, let's try and work an angle to where we tease a bunch of new superstars. We tease all these things to make sure that people are going to tune in for Slammiversary 2020 on Saturday. And they nailed it in my book. I think they crushed it every single way. And out of the fact, the matches were really good. The matches were solid enough. The main event I'm going to get to in a little bit, was really good. And again, I think the fact that, you know, we talk about it, the hype surrounding the show, you didn't know who was going to be there outside of the Good Brothers. You didn't know what was going to happen. Yes, yeah, some of the names were a little bit underwhelming, case in point, Eric Young coming back, but I like the fact they brought him back, Rich Swan being the fourth mystery man. That was really cool. But overall, it felt like it was like the one big surprise came right out of the gate. Whenever the Rascals had an open challenge and the Motor City Machine Guns came out, I was all the way for it. I lo- I've always loved the Motor City Machine Guns. They're probably one of my favorite tag teams of all time. They're on that list. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that the beer money feud that they had back in 2010, the best of seven series, every one of those matches are absolute bangers. And I think the MCMG, Alex Shelley, Chris Saban are just so darn fluid. And I've always enjoyed the way they put things together, and I'm all the way here for it. That was probably the big highlight and probably one of my matches of the week, a strong nominee for it if there ever was one. And then you had Moose versus Tommy Dreamer, an old-school rules match. Tommy Dreamer wearing a Moose Sucks Eggs t-shirt showing shades of Terry Funk. But this was such a damn fun match. It wasn't, again, I think it's great to have these situations where you can have a main event guy. You can put people over. And Moose can be that guy. For the unsanctioned TNA World Heavyweight Championship, this match was. And Moose retained this title. It went just about as you'd expect. Tommy Dreamer, a match. He can still go. 
But I think Moose carried the good chunk of this. 11 minutes, getting the win. I thought this was probably one of Moose's better matches in recent memory. Because I haven't necessarily, again, I think we are in a case where not a lot of people are watching Impact Wrestling and don't know the whole storylines. But this was a perfect jumping off point. Just tune in, see these great matches, and understand, you know, what Moose's character is through this match. And the other thing that they had was, and I absolutely love this, the gauntlet for the gold match to determine the number one contender for the Impact Knockouts Championship. And i got to say, it was a lot of fun to see Kylie Ray get the win in this gauntlet for the gold match. Well-deserved. Some of the other participants, Alicia Edwards, Havoc, yet even had Johnny Bravo in drag coming out, dressed as you know Ty Valkyrie and Rosemary, Katie Forbes, Kiera Hogan, Kimberly, Nevaeh, Madison Rain, Rosemary, Susie, Tasha Steeles, and again, Taya Valkyrie was the last one to be eliminated in this contest. So I have to say, this was a strong lineup of female superstars, and TNA, excuse me, Impact Wrestling has been doing that so well for quite some time, and you wonder what's going to happen with Kylie Ray. Smiley Kylie Ray has been like somebody I think everybody started to love, especially when they saw her run in AEW that maybe. Everybody wanted to see more of, but she wound up stepping away, and I do not blame her one bit. And then we get to about the midway part of the show. Chris Bay taking on Willie Mack, a 10-minute contest. And Chris Bay wins the X Division title. I'm so glad. And it's not a knock against Willie Mack, but I think Chris Bay is one of the fastest rising superstars, not just in Impact Wrestling, but in all of professional wrestling. He's going to be a hot commodity and I say, why not put the belt on him and strap the rocket to him? A lot like what they've done with Ace Austin. Because Ace Austin was hell of a talent in MLW. He's a fast-rising star. He's so young. And you know he's got a matter of years before he really kind of gets to his absolute prime. You could say the same about Chris Bay. A really solid match between the two. Chris Bay gets the win. So now it's interesting just to see what's going to happen with the Impact X Division title going forward. And then you had the tag team match for the tag team titles between the North and the odd couple team of Ken Shamrock, Sammy Callahan. Ken Shamrock, Sammy Callahan had been feuding in the past and got together largely to fight a common enemy in the North. But Ethan Page, Josh Alexander retained their tag team titles in a 15-minute match. Highly underrated. I recommend you go check that out. I think not a lot of people are talking about I think everybody was busy talking about the last two matches on the card. And that includes Deanna Perrazzo getting the win over Jordan Grace by submission. And I like that idea as much as I love Jordan Grace. She's a great talent all the way around. She's got a great look. She's got a great physique. And she's got a great, you know, just overall talent. Deanna Perrazzo winning by submission worked in terms of the storyline and advancing it. And now Jordan Grace gets another opportunity to chase that knockout title that eluded her for so long. Now she'll wind up probably getting a chance to get it back after Kylie Ray's title opportunity comes and goes. But again, Deanna Prouds and Jordan Grace was fun, and it felt justified to see somebody come away with the victory like Prazo did at the fact that she won by submission because she had been working that arm for the second that she debuted. And then the main event I think everybody's been talking about, Eddie Edwards is your new Impact World Champion after the whole Tessa Blanchard thing where apparently she's wanted to get paid $150,000 to give back the Impact World Championship. But I got to say, this was a ton of fun to see the surprises. 
Rich Swan coming back from injury. Eric Young coming back after being released by the WWE and coming back clean-shaven, but still looking a little bit like Sanity. So darn good. I'm looking forward to seeing what the future holds for Eric Young in this company. And one of the other big things that came out was the fact that you had the... i got to say, I'm looking forward to it. The fact that you have Heath Slater, now Heath Miller, in Impact, and the way they worked it was he's still a free agent, not hired by the company, and I, I couldn't stop laughing at it. And I'm, I just absolutely was laughing my head off at the fact that they were saying, you know, with COVID and all that, you can't be out here. And I just was like, what the actual bleep is going on? It was really hilarious, and it made it, made it worthwhile. Hopefully we can see more of Heath Miller and Rhino down the road. But I think everybody was talking about the Good Brothers making their debut, and I think they wound up making a lot of waves with their talking shop countdown to Bleep Town. I'm just going to go ahead and just say that rather than say the actual word. But Countdown to Bleep Town was so darn good. You heard a lot of storylines about it, and I absolutely loved what's going on with the Good Brothers making their debut, making a big impact, pun intended, at Slammiversary. And now we could very well see Ace Austin and his boy, Madman Fulton, taking on the Good Brothers. That'd be a really cool few to kind of hold us over until we finally get to the big show, Bound for Glory, whenever that's going to be in October. Maybe we'll get fans in the stands for that one. Fingers and toes crossed on that. But overall, Slammiversary, way better of a show than what we saw over on WWE on the Sunday. But there was one more big show that we're going to talk about in just a little bit. Going to take a quick timeout. And when we come back, we'll get to the third fall of this program and we'll talk fight for the fallen next. Thanks again for listening to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. And we appreciate you listening however you're doing so. Be it through 1037thegame.com, our free mobile app iTunes, Spotify, I think we're, we're going to get on there eventually, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. However, you're listening to us. We appreciate the heck out of you. But Fight for the Fallen was this past Wednesday, and it was a really solid show overall. I liked some of the stuff that I saw. The main event I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But the first match, the opening contest, a short match, but well worth your time to get out of your way and watch it. Cody, Sunny Kiss for the TNT title. Cody retains in a 10-minute contest, and it felt like it was a little bit longer than 10 minutes when I watched it Like after I taped it, but it was so damn good. i got to give credit to Cody and Sunny Kiss for putting together. I don't think it was a banger, and I keep using that term, but it was still solid enough to kind of put it in consideration for my match of the week. But my match of the week wound up being FTR and the Lucha Brothers a really great tag team contest, a great showcase for FTR to do their thing versus what we saw last week because it was such a clash of styles. And I think one of the big reasons why everybody just was so nervous about this whole thing going on is because of the fact that FTR feels like a fish out of water. They're old school where all the other wrestlers are doing flips, Canadian destroyers and everything in between. It feels like they're, they're a square peg in a round hole, but it works so well in favor of of what FTR have been able to do in the past. I like FTR, and they got the win over the Lucha Brothers. 
who, by the way, need to change their entrance because I cannot stand the way that it, the cameras couldn't keep up with their movements, with their entrance, and it just was a mess overall, but still a solid contest. FTR, Lucha Brothers, my match of the week. The six-man tag between the Elite and Jurassic Express just didn't do anything for me. I think it's mainly the fact I don't like Marco Sun. I don't care about him at all, and I wish he wouldn't do some be in AEW. Out of all the people that they have, this is the one person that I'm just like, I could pass and not deal with. The Elite get the win. No surprise there. Plenty of high spots, but just a really solid match overall. Not quite a banger. It was 15 minutes. Could have had a couple minutes taken off of it. And maybe you could have given more to maybe one more match because you only had five on the card. But I think they could have wound up giving that one a little bit. Or give, maybe give the main event a little bit more time. Because that one of only going 15 minutes. But then the penultimate match on the card, the Nightmare Sisters make their dynamite debut. Allie and Brandy Rose beating a couple jobbers, Kenzie Page and MJ Jenkins. A really solid match. But again, it was a squash. The Nightmare Sisters move on. And now eventually we'll see possibly the whole thing with Allie still work, working with Butcher and the Blade. I'm still waiting to see what's going to happen there, but I'm interested to see how that whole thing goes. And then the main event happens. John Moxley, Brian Cage, and Moxley wins after Taz throws in the towel. I just absolutely hated the fact that's how the whole thing ended. Brian Cage should be treated like an absolute badass, but he loses by submission in one of his first matches in AEW, losing a lot of the momentum. And the fact that he lost by submission without tapping and the towel was thrown in for him like he was the British Bulldog. I just absolutely hated the entire idea of putting those two inside the ring so soon, and more importantly, there was no real heat in this feud yet. There were, there was some, but it just didn't feel nearly as like epic as you know the Brody Lee, the Chris Jericho matches, the Kenny Omega matches. Like You need to have a lot of solid build towards this. You can't just throw together a main event like that with about four to five weeks of notice. It was overall underwhelming, but Fighting for the Fallen was still a solid enough show to get a little more of a pass from me versus what we saw in NXT, which I didn't really watch much of it. I was not a fan of what I saw on NXT. It was fine, but it just didn't it didn't entice me enough to fully pay attention for two hours on NXT programming. And that's going to do it for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. Thank you for listening. Hope you leave a nice review for us. Five stars. If you're in the Tokyo Dome right now, I'd give you a lot of credit for being there, but also give us six stars if you're out there in the Tokyo Dome. More importantly, subscribe to us on iTunes, the Google Play Podcast. Just search 103.7 The Game. You better get that, along with all the other great content that we got, like the Louis Prejean Podcast, the Rap Game Podcast, all of our regular shows. We got so many different things that you can listen to, and we'll talk to you next time.